0: part 3 chapter 7 of the luggage of life this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by april 6090 california united states of america the luggage of life by frank w borham part 3 chapter 7 our better halves marriage is simply an obvious and outstanding illustration of one of life's cardinal laws the world is made up of pairs and like the sexes those pairs are supplementary and complementary i have two eyes they are not in rivalry each has its function it is difficult for my right eye to discern the danger that approaches from the opposite direction my left eye therefore stands sentinel on that side of my face Each member of my body holds in charge powers that it is under obligation to exercise for the good of all its fellow members. The world is built on that plan. Examine for proof of it the list of exports and imports of any nation under the sun. As Cowper sings, wise to promote whatever end he means. God opens fruitful nature's various scenes. Each climate needs what other climes produce and offers something to the general use no land but listens to the common call and in return receives supplies from all in our silly habit of teaching half-truths we tell our children that australia belongs to britain that algeria belongs to france and that java belongs to holland if we told them the whole truth they would learn that britain belongs to germany and that france belongs to china and that america belongs to japan and that every nation is an essential and complementary part of every other nation. And if we taught them the whole truth after that liberal fashion, they would grow up to beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning-hooks. In precisely the same way, every man holds in sacred charge certain gifts and graces, which he is under solemn obligation to use for the general good. My next-door neighbor is my better half. I cannot do without him he is rich where i am poor and he supplies my wants the more as his unlikeness fitteth me the best possible illustration is of course commander verney l cameron's story of the two lepers he met in central africa one had lost his hands the other his feet they established a farm together the leper who had no hands and who could not therefore scatter seed carried his legless brother who could not have stirred upon his back and thus each supplying the other's lack they broke their ground and sowed their seed and reaped their crop or go to scotland everybody who has read that wealthiest of all northern biographies will remember the storm scene on the highland lock dr norman Macleod was in a small boat with a boatman some ladies and a well-known ministerial brother who was as conspicuous for his weak impugny appearance as dr Macleod was for his gigantic size and strength a fearful gale arose the waves tossed the boat sky-high in their furious sport the smaller of the two ministers was frightened out of his wits he suggested that dr macleod should pray for deliverance the ladies eagerly seconded the devout proposal but the breathless old boatman would have none of it he instantly vetoed the scheme Nah, na he cried let the wee manny pray but the big one maun take an if ye didn't will want to be droomed the shrew old highlander was simply stating in a crude way of his own life's great supplementary law let us admire the principle of the big minister and the small minister of the armless leper and the legless leper each in his proper place as it reveals itself in other fields every great movement furnishes evidence of the effective operation of this law those who have studied carefully the story of the Reformation know how the powers of Luther and Melanchthon dovetailed into each other, and how beautifully each supplemented each. Differing from each other as widely as the poles, each seemed to supply precisely what the other lacked, and neither was quite sure of the wisdom of his own proposal until the sanction of the other had been obtained. Macaulay has told us concerning Charles Fox and Sir James Mackintosh. That when Fox went to the desk and wrote, and Mackintosh took to the platform and spoke, the cause they espoused seemed pitifully impotent. But when Mackintosh seized the pen, and Fox mounted the platform, they were simply irresistible. They brought the whole country to their feet. Which, of course, is the story of the big minister and the wee minister over again. The gifts of each exactly supplemented those of the other. Each was the other's better half and has not Lord Morley made us familiar with the fine record of Cobden and of Bright? They were, he says, the compliments of each other. Their gifts differed so that one exactly covered the ground, which the other was predisposed to leave comparatively untouched. The story of the Grey Friars and the Black Friars is another case in point. The followers of Francis exactly supplemented those of Dominic, and each order overtook the work which the other left undone. History teems with similar examples. The law of the better half is as wide in the sweep of its operations as the law of gravitation. What ecclesiastical jealousies and theological bitternesses and ministerial heart-burnings would have been saved if even the best and saintliest of men had been swift to recognize the operation of this gracious principle. To say nothing of such shameful controversies as those between calvinists and lutherans let us take as our example a wordy conflict of but two centuries ago we ministers read john wesley's journal and william law's serious call on saturday nights and contact with such flaming enthusiasms makes our own hearts to burn within us as the great day of the week approaches what piety what passion what prayerfulness we discover all the chills of the week melt from our spirits as our souls warm themselves before these blazing fires but we blush for our own reverend spiritual masters when we recall the way in which these giants of the devout life treated each other and now that all the dust has settled what is the truth the simple fact is that wesley was the very greatest preacher of his age and law was the very greatest religious writer we see now says a great writer, that William Law, without John Wesley, as well as John Wesley without William Law, would have left the religious life and literature of the 18th century, both weak, one-sided, and unsafe. Could they both have seen it? Both were indispensable, John Wesley to complete William Law, and William Law to complete John Wesley. Just so. Could they both have seen it? But the tragedy of it all, is that they could not see it and did not see it we shall be wise men if in sitting at their feet we profit by the very blindness of our teachers each had he only known it was the other's better half there come to most of us weakened or wicked moments when we are apt to regard our more brilliant brethren as our enemies we are members one of another and that we need each other what a story for tears is that which dr alexander white has told us of thomas shepard it is a tale to be read on our knees thomas shepard as we all know was an english puritan a pilgrim father and the founder of harvard but we did not all know that thomas shepard was a poor wretch of like passions with ourselves he had it seems a brilliant ministerial his neighbors and his neighbors sermons were printed on saturdays in the new england gazette so for that matter were shepherds. But his neighbor's sermons read well and were popular. Shepherd's read but indifferently and were despised. And on one memorable Saturday, a particularly brilliant and clever sermon appeared in the Gazette. Everybody read it. Everybody talked of it. Everybody praised it. And the praise of his neighbor was like fire in the bones and like gravel in the teeth of poor Thomas Shepherd. It was gall and wormwood to his very soul. That Saturday, the spirit of the old Puritan passed through the garden of Gethsemane, When midnight came, it found him, still prostrate, before God on the floor of his study. His whole frame was convulsed in an agony of sweat and tears. Whilst his brilliant neighbor's clever sermon was still crushed and crumpled between his clasped hands, he wrestled, like Jacob, until the breaking of the day. He prayed until he had torn all bitterness and jealousy and hatred and ill-will out of his heart. And then, with calm and upturned face craved a blessing on his neighbor and on his neighbor's clever sermon thomas shepherd came to see that he and his neighbor belonged to each other he was his neighbor's better half time had taken good care to vindicate shepherd he is the friend of all of us whilst we do not even know his neighbor's name what saturday nights i say again we ministers have with wesley and with law how our hearts burn within us in their excellent company but what still more glorious saturday nights we might have had if only john wesley or william law or better still both of them had spent one saturday night after the pattern of thomas shepard's never to be forgotten saturday night in new england if only they and all like them had wrestled with their bitterness until the breaking of the day the daybreak would have revealed to each the noble face of a brother beloved for we are members one of another End of part three, chapter seven.